seasons of life, we're going sometimes fun to go through, aren't they? We all have these different seasons of life I'd like to talk about from Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes 3 and chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to start, we're going to read down through verse 11. This text is oftentimes used at funeral services because it's trying to help folks realize that there is a time to be born and there is a time to die, and many are familiar with that line. But there's other things that God is trying to show as far as contrast, times to laugh more, etc. So we're going to see this. Once we've talked about that, we've seen I respected God's word. Ecclesiastes 3 1. To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to fuck up, that's plenty. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time of love and a time of hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh, and that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the prevail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. But the love is the key to the standard. He, that is God, hath made everything beautiful in his mind. Also, he has set the world in heart. That no man could find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you'll help me to explain some of the things that you teach in this chapter to help us to understand the world that we live in. The preacher here is instructing us, giving us wisdom, giving us thought, not for depression, but for hope. To help us understand the work and the travail and the labor we have while we are here on this earth. So help me, Lord, to teach your people well, and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. I don't bring up the grandkids all the time, but once in a while they come up with doozies. Those of you who are grandparents get that because there's times that they come up with things and you're thinking, where did that come from? So we're watching Campbell with my grandkids this week. And uh, so we had a candle overnight. Silas is, her, is, is the youngest of the candles. And so I get up and usually I make French toast and grandkids. They say, Oh, your French toast is the best in the world, Grandpa. I really don't think it is. I think they just have to eat free food. But they like French toast. So I'll make the French toast. I've all done, you know. And so Silas comes over to the kitchen. He had me eating at me. He spoke whispering. He said, I can't hear you. What do you say? I'm like, you need to say it louder and slower because I don't understand. I want pot for breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I get pot for breakfast. We got French toast here. So we can tell we were starting out not well. So he sits down and he starts talking a little more and he's interacting and all of a sudden he's over. He goes, you know, I'm so amazed that 
friend and you are still alive. There it is. And all that I can say is me I... You know, when you talk to a little kid and ask them, what's old? And, you know, they're looking at you like, you, you, you are really old. You're just a baby, you know. And then I'm in here and then I've got some of you folks saying, oh, you're just a kid. You don't know what's about yet. You know, you're just so, you didn't even hit 60 yet. You don't even know what pain means yet, brother. You get nothing yet, you know. So, and there, there's some seasons, you know. Young, you know, on a through and you, you notice that we're, we're never happy with the age we are. You weren't happy when you were a teenager either. Now you're 80 something. You're still not happy with your age. You know, we're always wanting to be younger or older. You know, when you're younger, it's like, oh, I just want to drive, you know, or I just want to graduate, I just want this. And you think when you graduate, you have to stop learning. That doesn't work out well either. Uh, you have to learn all of your life. And there's the things that we learn from God, from His nature, from His creation. We learn a lot from Him. When who he is and who we are. The world sees us as, well, we are just evolved beings and we are our own God. We, we determine our own destiny and we're in control of everything. Well, God says, yeah, but guess what? The one thing you can't control, we are all the same. Someday we're going to die. Try to fix that one. You can't. No more than you can stop the sun from going down side. You can stop it. There are things that in creation that reflect on the very character of God that is consistent and it stays the same. And that's why God created these things to help us understand who we are versus the incredible wisdom and design of who God is Himself. And this chapter gets into some of those types of ideas for sure. Um, that fish and gulf, and uh, I've gone out with some people that, that fish and they gulf. And I don't golf anymore. You'll never meet a guy to golf so much and improve so great. I mean, I, I just couldn't get that thing down. It was a very frustrating book. But I noticed one thing when I was golfing with guys, there's one thing that they don't do, except for my character. He was my only buddy that would try to say, Carl, Carl, you're doing it all wrong. Carl, you think you're so frustrated with me because I'm going to make you a golfer. It's like that was his job, you know? And so he would take his job. I'm frustrated him so much. He finally looked at me and said, Carl, look at me. Just smack the ball. This is not that hard. I said, yeah, you're sure you're closer to it than I am. And he would just say, smack the ball. It's a thing out there because I hate those 10 feet. You know, we're going to go over, you know. Yeah, I wasn't good at that. Most guys that you go out with, and you're looking at them, and you're smacking the ball, and they're getting straight, and you're thinking, let's just give me some tips here. And they don't. Because they don't want you to become better than them. Golfers, amen. I mean, that's how it is. You can't get the way you're doing anything with pictures. I go on with some guys, you know, and they're fishing away, and they're pulling all these big men going through the long road, and they're saying, this is what I got you, you don't. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you teach me how to fish? You know, show me what Lord you're doing. Show me that. Show me how it works. You know, where you can change it. You know, you talk with you. What are you doing if you're catching fish? They don't want you to know because they don't want you to outfit them. It's all a competition. 
Isn't it awesome that we have God's Word that instructs us on the best way to be successful? God isn't trying to hide it from us. He wants to give us the best of the best. And that's what the preacher is doing here in this text, in this whole book. The preacher is pouring out his heart with life's experiences and, and wisdom. He's attempting to have men realize what real life is all about. Because if we are watching the world, we are seeing nothing but it. It seems like everywhere we turn is anger and frustration and nothing's good enough. And, you know, you know, the TV was on, Gloria was telling me uh, the other day, she was there and left the TV on, and her cartoon was on. And she said, she comes in and I'm like, turn this thing off. It was just a simple cartoon. She said, every character had these angry faces and were just feeling anger and aggression constantly. And the kids are listening to this and like, okay, so that's what I'm supposed to do. Make angry faces and be angry all the time about nothing. And it's like everywhere we, we look around, we just see, I mean, I'm in a line at GFF where they get BDS back. And this lady behind me, I mean, we don't have a big order, you know? And she just doesn't hurt. And she's in the line, literally coming close to me, like that's going to make it happen faster. And I finally, you know, I went back to you know, I mean, I was kidding you, she was mad because it wasn't going fast enough for her. And she literally prancing and making these faces and cries. She was so like, I thought you don't do that. If you're in a hurry, don't go shopping. That is my philosophy in life. I go in, I get my phone, I'm on there getting all kinds of work done while I'm waiting in line. And she's like a paid line and she's made ribbons and I'm like, and she's in the way of when we where I need to swipe the card, I said, listen, man, I said, I need, I need to swipe the card here and then I'll get out of your way. So she knew, ooh, I'm really making a up for myself, you know, and coming across. So he was real smiley after that. Why are we so angry and why? Why is it that it seems like the world doesn't have any contentment and happiness and joy? And I realize you and I, we have these negatives. We have the times of sorrow and the times of rejoicing. We have all of these seasons, but it just seems like the world doesn't want it. They don't want to find contentment and happiness and joy unless they get you. They're better than you. Are they taking with better than yours? I got somebody you don't. And then it seems like that's what puts smiles on the world's face. It's stuff. And well, I know I our great finger our people. Have fun with that. And so it's not a competition. And yet the world seems like everything is a competition. And we're just like, okay, you win. We win. We win. What's your agenda? What are you actually happy with? Happy with? And when will content and happiness come? And the answer is from the world, they're never going to get it. Nothing to the grave. This list that is given to us talks about pursuits, things that man is going after, things that they're trying to, to be able to get hold of. And then it doesn't seem like they're able to ever. It seems like 
everything that they're doing ends up becoming uncomfortable. And the key, key is, is because it is out of time or out of sync with God. Everything has a season. Everything has a season. Understand, if we are in that season with God, it becomes beautiful. It is when we are out of sync, out of time, out of season with God, we're doing it on our own, that's when failure, frustration seems to be happening in our lives. Everything becomes beautiful in this time. I love, I love, you know, times in the spring and uh, we start getting this and crops in the ground and and the first few days, it seems like this is a roll like three, four inches a day, but here it's just like a perfect rain for there, and just everything is grown. You just see them week by week come up more they're, they're grown. Um, and uh, I've already got some nice size tomatoes on there. But probably it wouldn't be wise right now to take a tomato seed and put it in the ground now and try to start making a new plant. Because you say, well, it's going to grow. Yeah, it's going to pop out of the ground. It's going to grow. And maybe by September, you might, maybe you have a little block in the center. But that cross is going to hit it, and it's going to die. It's not the season for it. It seems like that sometimes what we're trying to do, trying to do something out of season. And don't go along with the season that God has created. So when we do things in this time, in the right season, it gives us a different perspective of it all. God shows that, and I've brought this up, I don't really need to labor it much, but God shows His unchangeable nature through His creation. He in Luke's one says, the sun arises and the sun goes down. And he to a place where he rose. The wind, it goes towards the south, turns under the north, and it whirls about. Continually, the wind returns again according to its surface. All rivers run into the sea, and the sea is never full. But in the place from whence the rivers come, thither they will return again. So, the whole concept of evaporation, rain, it does this cycle all over again. All the river pouring into the ocean that they never filled up. Why? Because all of this is the nature. You know, the same, same stars that God sat with Abraham and said, your children are going to be as the stars in heaven. We're seeing the same ones. It's the same sun that they all come up and go down. The same moon. Still here. God says, I am the same. Yesterday. Today. Forever. God is the consistent one. It seems like we, His creation, get out of sync with who God is and what He is trying to do. And as we're going to talk about in a moment, we don't see His creation, so therefore we lose the awe of who He is and we lose the fear of God and we begin to take things over and we get frustrated because of the seasons in life. No one can ever add or take away from the wisdom and the counsel of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. 
I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it. No, you can't add anything to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it. Now, notice the reason that men should fear before them. The ultimate purpose, and of course, many of you know Ecclesiastes, and you know where we're headed to, the whole duty of men and what he's supposed to be involved with while he's here on this earth. And here again, the incredible creation of God and the consistency of the seasons it, it is something that is showing that the love of God, the grace of God, because we don't, we don't deserve the rain that we've been getting to help the cross the glory. What we all deserve is death and hell, and that God says, I'm going to give you life, and I'm going to give you abundant life. Because I love you. And He's shown us His very character. And so we are in awe of who He is. But the world, it seems like they're always wanting something new, and they want something now. I want now. I want new. It's like we, we can't be happy and content with the normal activities of what? Here the sun goes up and the sun goes down. We get rain, we plant, we pluck up that which we planted, it's time to put it away, we harvest, and all of these seasons. I remember as a kid picking up rocks, one of my favorite jobs in the field. On the farm, man, that was, it's on the night, it's like, okay, you gotta go pick up rocks in the field. Pennsylvania, they didn't have feet, they have rocks. And when he would go through and file them up, it's like, who is growing these things each year? They just keep coming up out of the ground. So we have a big old wagon, and we would throw them on the wagon, and we would take those rocks, and we would put them on these huge piles to get them out of the way so that they could get the plow going, and sure enough, get some corn, and wheat, and barley growing, and we can have a harvest as a result of that. And that those very same rocks is what sometimes they would take and make fences grows with in Pennsylvania. So those very rocks are what we will take up, and then that will become your your border of your property. And that was very solid through the years, is there's the border, because there's the rock row that was put up there like 100 years ago from this very field. So you kind of pick them up, and it's time to build. It's time to tear down. It's time to grow up. All these things are cycles in, of, of life. And it's hard sometimes to see when we have to tear things down. It's that something has been, you know, there as a, as a landmark through all the years, and yet the decay has taken over and the corruption, and it's time to tear it down so that we can build up something brand new. I think that's why we like those fixer up shows. Because we take something that probably is going to be normally mowed over, and yet they make it brand new, and it looks really solid, and it's going to last a long time. And we like to think of that. So oftentimes we're going to walk in and say, you know, back in the day, they used to make really small rooms and all throughout the house. Small rooms. Now everybody wants the open concept, is the word, right? So you got to tear all these walls down. you got to build and fortify the walls and everything. So, so this is all about the seasons of life. Certain things make us sad. Certain things make us happy. But the word one thing that we know is that God is everything He does. It's eternal. It doesn't change. And you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It doesn't matter how man tries to change the nature that God has created. And, and they can find it through science to evaluate and for medicine to correct. But there are certain things that God says, it is what it is, and there is no way that that will ever 
be changed because it shows the consistency of who God is. Each of these beautiful things that are talked about within this text, the things that are beautiful as far as the happiness and the, and the dancing and the time of building, the, the time of, of embracing, the time to build community, the time to do all of these wonderful things has its opposites. Those opposites, the negatives, are what we frown upon. And we don't see the negative ever turning out to be something that is positive. How can anything positive happen from death? How can anything possible be, be coming out positive? We're talking about breaking down and killing and weeping and, and it's time of casting away and refraining all of these words. How can anything come out that is good? And yet, for we as Christians, we see this world totally different than the world that does. We see this world that we are living in, in as he tells us in, in Romans 12, with a, a change or, or a, a mind that's been renewed. The mind begins to look at everything here and now totally different. Years ago, when we were in, uh, when we were in Israel, we were still months from from them. And I learned a lot as I was watching just not, you know, the land and things, but for some of the, the, the customs and the culture. One of the highlights, of course, is going to the Western Wall, known as the Long Wall. And it's called that for a reason. When you go to this huge wall, you'll go up and you'll see in these the old ancient rocks, the little, little round pieces of paper that people rolled up a little scroll, and that's the prayer request when you're stopping in the cracks of the walls. And as a matter of fact, when we, were, we went down underneath, and still excavating, and there were some women down there praying. And as they were praying, they had these little plastic chairs. They must stuck, stuck up after they're done, and then they would use it the next day when they would go, and they would pray. And I noticed in this little COVID was there, how they were sticking notes inside there also. When I was at the wall, it's interesting because it's, it's a total different idea and culture than, than we would be used to. Uh, at that time, the, youth, and the men would go down, the men would go here, and the women would go over here. And they weren't allowed to mix. You weren't allowed to mix. You had to stay within your own gender. One lady that was starting to walk down, and one of the group men ran up to her and scolded her. No, no, you get out of here. You get over there. They were talking about this, and they're sitting on the side of you. They said, well, over there. No, no, no. They strictly yelled, like this is forbidden. They knew the urgency of it because they see this side of the wall as a very, very sacred, sacred time. And when you would see them, when they would approach the wall, they would have the men would have their little shoes on, their head or a ball pack, and were allowed to use those too. But as they would go to the wall, they would have their Bible and they would be reading, and this is what they would be doing constantly. And they were just constantly moving and constantly praying out loud. And there was, there was no joy in their voices at all as you heard them pray. And so they were just doing this over and over again. They were reciting scripture and they were reminding God of the covenants. This is what you will promise to the Jewish people. So they were reciting the word of God to them. And by the way, we should do the same thing in Christmas. We should be in the word, knowing the word, and praying about what we're learning in the word. Understanding. And that helps us then to. We praise God because of His covenant with us. 
because of who he is and what he's done, his grace, his mercy, his blood, uh, his home, and all these things that we have in the benefits of God. We rehearse them back to God and say, Lord, I'm amazed that you love me this much. Your grace so amazes me. And so, so we, we, we can learn from them for sure. But after they were done, the men came up over on this side and they were uh, separated from the wall. And uh, before long, I lost the video. I lost so much of what I was for a picture of the computer back before the back up. But I took a video of these men and they were all in a circle. And they did have some young men in the center. I don't know what all that means. I don't understand. Um, but I thought, no, maybe this is a ritual for the young men. And so after it was all done, I'm watching them. And they're all holding hands. And they're all dancing in a circle. They're just dancing right around in a circle. And, and going around and they're singing. And there's, there's not a frown there. Not a frown. Everybody is jubilant and happy and dancing. And just have a wonderful time. So I'm watching this. You know, here I am at the Gentile side of the And so I'm saying, okay, you're weeping and wailing over here, and now you're happy and rejoicing over there. So I, I'm like, what the world is this mean? I said, it's just a couple of things. So I'm uh, uh, our, our leader, and I said, what does this mean? He goes, here's how it works. When they were at the wall, it's a time for weeping. It's time for mourning before God. If you look at, remember, I just finished up my devotions in the book of Judges, and you can see how many times they began to weep and cry to God for deliverance from the nations that had taken them into captivity and they were, were over top of them, and God would raise up a judge, and they would weep, and they would put away their idols so that God would answer the prayer, and they're just coming to God over and over again. You can see many in the Old Testament that would weep before God. And I said, but what about the happiness? What's the rejoicing over here? And said, that's their faith that God is going to answer the prayer that happened over there. So they're, they're rejoicing in advance that God heard their prayer and God was going to do something about it. Well, we can learn from that in Cambridge. We don't rejoice until we see it. We're not happy about it until we get everything we have on our checklist, Lord. And now I'm not happy. Uh, they're happy before they got it. You think God's looking at our hearts and he's stopping to say, why do you have to be happy after you get it? Why can't we be happy through it? By the way, this is, this is way before America said, yeah, we recognize that Jerusalem is indeed the capital of, of Israel. And that was way before that. They still believe that God is going to keep His covenant and perform the things that He promised. And that's what God is calling us to do. There are seasons in your life, hard seasons in your life. Some of you have been going through tests. And in this text, we talked about there's even a time for healing. And there is a time for healing. There's a time for everything, but there's also a time to help us remind and remind us of the nature that we have. We're not in heaven yet. We're not there yet. We're still here. We're still a bunch of sinners to the name of grace. 
and we still have your old sinful nature. And the body isn't getting better. And that's the message of a couple of weeks. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to see the analogy there. And so every season that we have, there's a purpose and there's a reason for it. And these seasons are for us to learn about ourselves and to be able to learn about God and see the faithfulness of God, the consistency that God has for us. I just wrote a few of the words down that are talked about or implied, at least when it comes to this text. The world would see this and see the only way you can be happy is to not be going through problems. That's how the world sees it. Well, my, uh, my dad passed away back in May, June. Folks, I, I was, I got to go through a mix of emotions because my dad had struggled with lung cancer and couldn't breathe all the treatments and all the physical pain that that man went through. And, uh, and tell me to never do better than and, uh, and my grandpa went through the same thing, my own great uncle, the old guy one came from us. I don't know how to do that way. And uh, so when he, uh, he got saved just a few years before he, he passed away, and uh, he started getting scriptures down. And my pastor looked at him out of the line with him, and he said, uh, Boy, thank you, or really don't do a lot of things. And I'll never forget what my dad said. He says, yeah, but I'm still not going through as much pain as Jesus did for me. In that perspective, are we supposed to understand that the fellowship that comes to suffering? But we don't want to suffer. We don't want to suffer. We want we everything to be really easy and smooth. And by and by, we're not going to understand rejoicing if we don't go through the time of weeping. If it's all here, What's we'll wrong with this? Because we're never happy. We can have it made in America. What did you really need? Seriously, you get a lot more money than I understand that. But when we look at our life in America, there's jobs galore, there's money galore, there's food galore, we've got everything that we need. We have no homes. We've got air conditioning, we've got TV, we've got everything. What do we need and yet we're still not happy? We, we can have it all. That's what God's trying to do. We can have that season of happiness, but we're going to stop being thankful and happy if we don't understand the contract cycles. That's why sometimes I hear that we, the older we get as Christians, we stop rejoicing in our salvation. We've had it so long, we're just used to it. We can never get over it. We can never get over the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, that, that God has forgiven up of everything, and we have a mission that we're being prepared for us in heaven. It's like, wow! We have times that we have, many of us have even recently and gone through death and lost a loved ones. And that's why I just want to highlight because that's why many times they say the time these warriors are coming to die. And they use that as a funeral service and there's absolute truth to that, to that, to that. 
matter of fact, if you want to look over with me in verse number 20 of the same chapter, Ecclesiastes 3.20, here he gives the kind of analogy of all of mankind because we all have this simple nature. So all go under one place. All are of dust and all turn to dust again. Ain't that encouraging? But he's saying that's how God created Adam from the dust of the ground, and back to that dust is where we are all going to return. And we're not going to go over the glory details of all of that. That's just the reality of it. And so, no matter what we do, as far as, as trying to take care of the body, it is going to deteriorate because of that. And so, man goes to all man goes to the exact same place because all man was created from the dust. We will all return to the dust of ground. But the only exception is rapture. That's why we all want to be raptured. You know, hey, that's good thing. And that's that's the whole thought. So, so, but that is our that is our lot. That's where we are at. But the world sees death as a conclusion that they go into some type of annihilation. They go into some type of a sleep. But there's no awareness at all after they die. There's no God in their minds, and so therefore there's no judgment, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's nothing. We just go into non existence. Well, the only thing that is true for all men is we're all going to die and need to be buried. But the Christian, we see this all totally different. God says the righteous has hope. This guy. You know these verses I'm going to be giving them to you. And uh, just so you understand what doctrine we hold to in this church, we preach that, I'm sure you do too. I've heard a minister in recent weeks talk about whenever a Christian dies, they can go into some type of a soul sleep. That they're not aware of anything at all. They are just the body there, and they don't come back to life until the rapture. And then those who are already dead or those who are alive will finally be taken up into heaven so those who have gone on before us aren't in heaven. They said. They are just in a sea and a full sea. Good night, the world will be okay that night. And I mean, like, oh yeah, you go into annihilation, you know, where there's no awareness, you don't feel anything afterwards. Well, they have a whole lot of problems with what the Bible actually says about it. And so I do not hold to that. I believe those in this place who have lost loved ones who believe in Jesus Christ, they are with the Lord as we see. Second Corinthians chapter number five tells us that very concept. To be absent from the body is to be well, I don't know you want. Do we need any more besides that one? I mean, that is about as solid as it gets. Also, we have another incredible text. It tells us in Philippians chapter number one, that Paul says, um, for me to live is Christ, but to die is... Hopefully, doesn't sound too much gain to me. So he goes on and says after that, so he says, I'm torn between two things. The first one is to stay here for the church. But for me, I'm ready to go to heaven. And 
and that's what he said. I'm ready to depart and go to heaven. He has said, I'm going to leave here and to be with the Lord. But he says, but for the church, it's better that I hang out here. Stay a little longer to write letters and encourage you and to build the church up. He says, but I'm torn between these two things. Some would say, well, that was for the Apostle Paul. He's got special privileges. No, I do not see anything that Paul related to a special privilege for him to go to heaven. You can't get there until rapture. There's nowhere is that ever cited throughout the scriptures. And I love in First Thessalonians three thirteen, which is what I spent most time on this week. He talks about the Lord return. Talking about coming back in the air for rapture in chapter number four. So he concludes in chapter three, right before all that, he says that the Lord is going to be returning with the saints. So the Lord's going to be returning, and it literally means to come back and coming back with. The now, some have said, oh, that's just talking about angelic beings. Uh-uh. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word saints is never related to angels. It's always about believers in Jesus Christ. There are some thoughts in the Old Testament some words that might relate to angelic beings with saints, but not in the New Testament. So who are those saints that are already in heaven with Jesus so when he comes back they're coming with us. There are people that are dead in Christ already, coming back in the air, and then all of a sudden, sudden boop, 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 trumpet on sound, then they're going to go, whoop. They're going to join their body, and it's going to be changed, and it's going to be resurrected, and then in that split second, just in a moment, you and I who are alive and remain in that time, we're going to be caught up together in the cloud, and we're going to forever be with the Lord. Well, you can stress that closely. We got, we got so many verses that I can give you others. Uh, yeah, about the rich man and Lazarus. All these things, they were alive and well. But what they say is, oh no, that's just a parable. That was a parable. If you didn't know that, you're saying that that's not a right. The rich man is not a real person, the Lazarus is not a real person. And the problem with that is, if, if that's a parable, that's the only time Jesus ever used a proper name in a parable. You understand? Don't think it's a terrible, real people. And we're going to see the average. Okay? We're going to meet this one more someday. And so these are real people. They're alive and well. And that's why when we look at this whole concept of death, it changes as Christians our perspective of how we see this. Because as believers, we know that we will see them again. And we're going to join together with them again in rapture. And he says, what is my hope? What is my joy? A crowd of rejoicing. Isn't it you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? God knows we need this social activity. He knows we long to be with one another and to see each other. God wants us to understand that when it comes to heaven. And, and, and that's a good thing that God knows our nature. He knows what he wants to give us. We have burdens. Well, the world has them. And they do take at them. They say, if a loving God were to be up there, he would never give me these problems. And then we as Christians, we look at this totally different. We see the burdens of these times of prayer. We cast all of our cares on him. Why? He cares for us. 
He knows what you're going through. And He wants to give you, through His Spirit, the comfort, the help, the aid, so that you can become a witness and a testimony to the lost world. They will look at you and say, how can you go through this problem with a smile on your face? But tell you how. God is in me. And I believe, through the all, somehow God is going to make this a beautiful thing. I believe all things work together for good. To them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, He can do something about this. My faith is in God. And they're going to say, oh. Because everybody there around, sadly, sometimes Christians, is grumbling, complaining about all the burdens and not seeing God at work in it all. If we walk by faith, we will realize God is doing this for a reason. The burdens, the hardest times I've had in my life is when I've prayed the most. How I do? That's the time I'm fasting. That's the time that I'm really seeking the face of God. And in the joyful times, I find myself fasting less. Praying differently. Because the burden isn't there. God puts these in our lives. And we see this as God's going to do something really awesome when it was all said and done. The Exodus, Joshua, and the list goes on. Healing. This is one we're always concerned about. Healing. We want the physical healing. And it is true, we do. I've been there a few times that I didn't know what was going to happen to me with my throats and things historically. Didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know if I was going to be able to sing again. Didn't know if I was going to be able to ever preach again. And I was thinking about getting some books out and learning how to sign language so I could keep on preaching. That I thought I had broke cancer from all the stupid things I did as a kid. And uh, I'm like, that makes sense I get broke cancer. And yet God says, no, you don't have that. You got some other issues and now they able to be healed. And boy, I rejoiced when I found out it was just to be corrected. And I was really happy about that. And, uh, and it gave me a peace. I really thank the Lord for it. But that was about a two-week period um, that I'm going through, and I'm thinking, I've got to reevaluate my whole life. Because I don't even know if I'm ever going to be able to say anything, even I love you to my wife. I know what's going to happen. We've got to do surgery. And the radiations and everything. You're changing your whole life. And you go through this, and then you see the healing. And it works. And every Sunday in the room, pulled on gas, but he's gone through with his throat, his jaw, and he's been 27 years. He's been going through this. This is for cancer and surgeries and radiations. And uh, day in, day out, year in, year out, constant, plus a reminder of the cancer that he had had. And yet, uh, it could be a burden to him. We will pray for healing. But he knows one thing he told me and Jared to do and he told me right and you know he said you know I'm going to go home and do it and that's what he's going to get his perfect will it's going to go it's going to be satisfied and he said that if I would pray together it's going to be this time coming over to I went over to Bill talking to him about that first time, he knew he was going to be graduating to heaven soon. He looked at me, just before he said, I'm going to take something long. 
and with his heart will not let them. Because the rich has over his death. And so we see this over and over in the world does. The burden, the healing, the not healing. Sometimes we get the perfect healing. God is still good. He's still good. He's always good. He is always just looking to bring the sun is going to set the light. He is always good. And every blood in our place. He has made everything beautiful in His time. We have to be planted. We have to do it in His season, in His time. And watch what God does. Through your life, when you go through the burdens and hardships, and that weeping is then turned to joy. See it in the book of Esther. It looks like the Israelites were going to be all killed and massive killed. And yet, it is God approaches, he approaches the king, and everything that Haman has, has created was undone. And they they took what God did in the book of Esther and created a feast called the Feast of Purim to remind themselves it's a time of festivity and they dressed up in Israel. We were in Israel when that was going on. And the little girls were all dressed up like Esther. They took only on Halloween type of thing, you know, to get in the costumes and everything and they're going around and celebrating what God did for them. And yet they remember there was tears that brought them to happiness. Everyone has a time, folks. And it's in his time. And he's going to make everything beautiful. But it's in his time. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. All of our ways of knowledge and without faith is impossible to please him. when we come to God, we must believe he is. And the rewarder, a rewarder of those who don't do what he's done. Your labor is not in vain. Everything you're struggling with, your travails, everything you're fighting for, is not in vain. Because we know everything we do, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, it says, it is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Everyone that helped out with vacation Bible school, they have a long, they have a lot of hours. Uh, yeah, we were feeling it too. Not exactly as many of you who had to get up at 3 30 in the morning and go to work, but you can feel it. And guess what? It wasn't in vain. Even if one kid got saved, it worked at all. If no kid got saved, then the Christians really learn some concepts about the Word. It's not in vain. We can't lose when we're serving Him. Lord, love you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for how incredible it is. And we do pray that we will see this biblical concept. You know what? If we say none of us know, and we know that in your time, you are able to take it and to make it all beautiful. So, Lord, help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to practice and live out our faith. And there's some here that are not trust Christ as Savior. This is important to them because they don't have this hope. I pray the Lord is working on the part of the glorious this day.
and then he assigned somebody to her. He had a list of her and he knows your heart. He knows everything about you. You can't hide anything from him. And way down by faith, you need to stay to him and it's real to him. And Satan says, I don't want to I know that I believe that Jesus came to serve the God of Christ and I said, rise again for me. You did the work for me and now my faith is in you to be forgiven. If you say something like that, talk to me about that, the faith is where you are. And he loves it. He wants you to grow in him. And when you come, you do it. You change to come to Christ and save you. Let's go to the better.